Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for inviting us into this place, this place of peace and life, a place of hope, a place where your gospel, Lord, is proclaimed. Lord, and we come from a world filled with hardship, with terror, with violence, Lord, and we've been reminded what a rough world we live in, Lord, by the events these last few days. And we come to you and ask for refuge. We ask for healing. We ask for your protection and grace, Lord, that you would be with those who have been traumatized, those who have been injured, those who have been killed, Lord, through this violence. And we pray that you would bring peace and healing and restoration. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today, speak a word of hope to us, a word of life, a word of grace and mercy. And we pray that you would ease our hearts, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, as some of you know, our dog, our faithful dog, uh, we'd had him for about 10 years. Bart passed away about a month and a half ago. Uh, He was a good dog, but he wasn't always a good dog, right? I'm sure your dogs are always good. But our dog was not, right? Bart, he had been, we had adopted him from the pound, and we didn't know what to expect from Bart when we got him home. And he was a crazy, loud, energetic, joy-filled, excited about everything kind of dog. He had two moods. He was happy or asleep. (laughs) Right, that was it. And... um, But it wasn't always easy with the dog. In fact, when we first got him from the pound, they said, well, you know, we're offering a free session of in-home pet training, right? We're going to train your dog for you. So we'll come out to your house and work on your dog with you. And so we're like, great. So we called the lady. She came out to our house. After 45 minutes, she was sweating profusely. She was exhausted. She was exasperated, and I think she was ready to hang up the leash, right? I think she almost called her career, like just called it quits after our dog. He was an absolutely willful dog. Early on in our having a Bart, uh, we went up to Downeyville, and we're staying up there for a few days. Near the end of our time, we had baked some just beautiful zucchini bread, and it was sitting on the counter cooling. You know where the story's going, right? Right? It was like just uh, like steam rising from it. We went out for a little walk, came back. Zucchini bread was gone for a little while. It did not, it did not settle well in Bart's stomach, right? So, um, and that was the, that's the complexity, right, of relationship with this dog was you got good, you got bad. You know, it was all mixed up and it was hard. Relationship was hard. Which clearly brings us to the 8th century BC in northern Israel. Right? It's like a direct flight right there. And there we are because that's the setting of the book of Hosea. Now, as we all know, the 8th century in northern Israel was a complicated time. A complicated time. Uh, It's also complicated because sometimes Hosea uses different language to describe that northern kingdom. Sometimes he uses this name Ephraim to describe the northern kingdom. Now that was one of the tribes of Israel, Ephraim was. And so it was like the northern are the northernmost tribes. And so it was sometimes used as shorthand to describe 
the northern kingdom. So you'll sometimes see Ephraim just supplant northern Israel for that. Now, during this period, uh, there were six kings in a 30-year period, right? Six kings. And that led to, of course, a ton of political intrigue and upheaval, right? Because it was not like a normal election process, like every four years switching out your, who your president was, right? When you switch out a king, the king's not the only one who loses a job, right? Or, or a head, Right? It's everyone connected to them, their family, their friends, their advisors, counselors, you know, whoever. It just, they just swap them all out and come up with new ones. And so the, the nation was just in total turmoil. In addition, the Assyrians during this time invaded Israel six times. Six times. Now these were not big conquests. That was coming later. But could you imagine? You've got another another nation, the big, powerful, like the bully on the block, coming in six different times into your country. And so the people lived under constant fear, not only of their kings, but also of being conquered and exiled, of losing their land, of losing their identity. So in the midst of all this difficulty, you've got this guy, Hosea, who is a prophet of the Lord. And as we read last week, God called on him to marry a woman named Gomer. Not the best name, right? Now, it's unclean. It's unclear exactly um, what Gomer is. She has identified sometimes as a prostitute. But that term um, that's used for this, whoredom, refers to a broad set of things under a general umbrella that nobody wants to be under that umbrella, right, Uh, of sexual misconduct, Now, there's a strong possibility that she's not a prostitute, but rather it's referring to adultery, that that whole, that term whoredom is referring to. It's just our English translations don't give the proper breadth to exactly what it could be. Nonetheless, could you imagine that Hosea going and telling his parents about his marriage plans? Well, she's a nice girl, right? But there's a backstory. So, um, but things start out all right, despite the challenges. Uh, They have their first child together, and that's about as far as things go smoothly. Because all the subsequent children that Hosea and Gomer have are not necessarily Hosea's children. It's kind of the sad part of the story. Later on, Gomer runs off, and God sends Hosea to ransom her back again. And things have gotten so bad for Gomer that she's become a slave. And Hosea has to go and pay for her to be ransomed back. And the cost that he pays for her is actually a lower cost than the going rate for slavery at that point. So things had gone really bad for Gomer. Needless to say, this was probably a difficult marriage to pull off, right? What do you think? I mean, these are not the proper building blocks for, you know, everything to go smoothly in marriage. Yet Hosea sticks with Gomer even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it costs him everything. And this is all done in in our book with the purpose that Hosea, and by extension all of Israel, would see that the Lord is faithful to his people even when they go astray. 
the Lord is faithful to them all the time. Not just when they're good, not just when they're lovable and cuddly, all the time he is faithful to them. Now the story of Hosea and Gomer fills up the first three chapters of the book, and then we're given a few other images to depict the way that the Lord relates to Israel. And in our passage from chapter 11, we see the description of Israel as a child. And this child is loved. This child is loved. And this child is called out of Egypt. God speaks to this child and says, come out. Come out of your slavery. Come out of your bondage. Come out of your making bricks without straw. Come and be free with me. And come into this new land that I've given you. This event we call the Exodus, right? And it's this nation-defining and relationship-defining event for Israel and God. It's a thing they could look back on for their whole lives and, and throughout whatever happened to them, they could look back and remember that God had called them and brought them into freedom. Now, after he rescued them, God continued to call to them. He didn't only call to them when they were in Egypt, but he continued to call to them over and over again. But we're told, the more I called them, the more they went from me. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this relationship or this experience, but um, when my kids were little, I think every one of them had a moment like this where they were running somewhere and I saw where they were running and it was dangerous, right? But they were running for a road or, you know, or into a parking lot or off a cliff or whatever it happened to be, right? And I could see this and I was saying, stop! And my kids immediately stopped and turned around and said, what is it, Father? <laughs> right? You know that moment, right, where you got that affirmation of parenting? No, no, what did they do? They laughed, right? They often laughed, and they kept running from me. I think that's something like what Israel was doing. The more I called them, the more they ran. Israel was recalcitrant. They were stuck in their ways. They should have heeded the voice of God because he had called them from free, from, into freedom from slavery. Right? They should have remembered that, that God's call always leads to freedom. When, we, when Israel ran from God, it always led to slavery. But instead, they plugged their ears. And so he tries to remind them of his loving role in their lives, to reestablish and say, look, let's go back and remember how we related to each other. He says, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Think of that image. Think of that image of a parent holding their child's hands, as that child tries to take their first steps, right? Those trusting steps, the, the knowledge that while the parent has the hands, the child's not going to fall, right? That's how God related to Israel. He said, look, I had you by the hands and was walking with you, keeping you safe, was with you every step of the way. I took them up in my arms, Right, this nurturing, safe place. But they did not know that I healed them. We get a little hint of how the relationship was. God holding their hands and teaching them to walk. God holding them. God healing them. But the Israelites 
oblivious, thinking they just learned on their own. They figured it out themselves, not knowing, not understanding that God was the one who had done it. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. They weren't held or led by shackles or through, there wasn't like a rat's maze where they were just down in there, there were barriers around them. Instead, it was bonds and cords of kindness and love that led them. They were compelled just because they loved God to follow him. And he was like one of the, he was like them that lift infants to their cheeks, right? Someone who, who wanted to hold them tight and to be close to them, not distant, not just to keep the kids over there, but to bring them in and have them close against their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. This speaks of the loving and faithful provision of God. He got down on their level and fed them, gave them what they needed. But as the nation of Israel grew, it grew tired of God. As they developed as a country, they lost sight of the God who was their father. And so the Lord gives them the natural consequence for their lack of desire for him. He says, they shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The Israelites had been trying to live as though God was not their God and they were not his people. They had been running after all the other gods of all the other nations. And God just let them run. At some point, he couldn't call them back because they wouldn't listen. So he let them run. And the passage tells us, my people are bent on turning away from me. That's just what they want to do is run from God. And you can't keep them when they want to run. And so God lets them taste the fruit of that desire, that desire to run from him. And that fruit is loneliness and isolation, pain, emptiness. We know that. We know what that tastes like. Now, despite the attitude of the people, God will not ultimately turn away from them. He doesn't say, like, I'm done with you forever. I'm going to write this off as a loss and just move on with some other people going to make some children of Abraham out of stones here, and we're going to start over again. Instead, he allows them to go into exile for a time. He says, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. God will be merciful. Despite the constant rejection of the people, God will be faithful and will not reject them. And so the passage gives us this amazing promise. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. I will place them back in their homes. The place they ran away from, the relationship that they denied, I will reestablish it all, and we will be together, and we will be safe. And this is the story of Hosea. God uses different images for it, but it's this constant story of the people being unfaithful 
and the Lord remaining faithful nonetheless. He will bring them back no matter how far they run astray, because he cannot abandon them, for they are called by his name. They're his people, and they will be his people forever. Now, to be sure, there's some difficult words spoken in Hosea, some difficult images, some, difficult, some challenging things come up in this book. There's some harshness from God in this book as well. But there's also some of the most compassionate expressions of faith revealed here, too. The way God talks about being a father to this nation. The way he talks about restoring them. It's beautiful. This book shows us that God cares for his people and is faithful even when they are faithless. He's faithful even when, it even when it's hard and even when it costs him everything. Now, when we adopted our dog, we didn't know how hard it would be. We didn't know of all the complexities of it, how much training, how much forgiveness it would take, right? How much reestablishment of that relationship and that trust. But we chose to love again and again. I think for our dog, it came real easy. He seemed to just love all the time, no matter what he had done. God does this, too, and so much more in his relationship with us. Like it or not, we're like Gomer. We're like Israel. We run away. We're like that child running toward the busy street, laughing all the way, thinking we're living the high life, unknowing of what's coming up in front of us. And God is calling out to us to come and to return and to be with them. Just when we start to get close, we so often scurry away to some other temptation. And that's why our salvation can't rest upon us. It can't depend upon our faithfulness. It can't depend upon our righteousness. Because our righteousness is like the dew of the morning. It dries up. Right? As soon as the sun hits it, it's gone. And our determination, our grit, our endurance to do the right thing, it never lasts. We get tired. And that's why Jesus came in the name of God and in our flesh to be faithful for us. So that like Hosea, he could ransom his people. He could set them free from slavery. And he could be wedded to them, the church. And he could give us a new name, a name that is full of joy and righteousness and faith. And he could clothe us in his own righteousness and wash us clean. This is why we need a Savior, because we're people like Gomer, we're people like Israel, and we need to be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being the God of grace and mercy, the God who comes to us, Lord. The God who reaches out to us even when we've run far from you. Thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy, your love, and your grace. Lord, thank you that you redeem us and that you don't leave us where we are. Lord God, help us to walk humbly in this world, to be gracious with others, knowing that we have done nothing to save ourselves, nothing to make ourselves more righteous, but it is all because of your gift that we are healed. And so we pray that you would help us to be loving towards others, to be compassionate and merciful as they struggle in this world too. And we pray that we would be 
evangelists, Lord, carriers of your message and proclaimers of your goodness. Lord, may our lives, like the life of Hosea, reveal your gospel of grace and hope. And may we be free to confess our failure, but your abounding mercy and love. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.